We continue in our series on 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. We are looking at the various characteristics, starting with the first one concerning instruction or doctrinal teaching. And I know this is the third message on that, but I figured that last week there was somewhat of a can of worms opened on the will of God, and so I have a message again on that theme. Um, and uh, as I already uh, previewed that, uh, there are so many questions that can be asked and, and with this regard, but hopefully, uh, again, this evening there will be some, this morning, excuse me, uh, there will be some uh, assistance in that. John, I want to begin with John chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. The whole section in John's gospel of John 6 through 8 could be used quite a bit to address this issue, but I am just going to pick this one because I want you to see Christ's discussion about the will of him in relationship to the will of the Father. So if you turn to John first, John 7, verses 14 through 24. Listen carefully to the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, if you would, once again, over to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. 
our Lord and our God, we, we do struggle in our lives many times to understand your will in our life. We would ask, O oh God, that this morning we would see deeper and into the eternal will of thy work in thy people, each of us who profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that he is the Lord of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What is God's will for my life? How do I discover God's will for my life? I would assume this morning that all of us have struggled with the question, what is God's will in my life? Depending on the situation, this question can cause great anxiety, perhaps sleepless nights, nervousness, concern, and apprehension. We may even make people who surround us experience our anxiety as we weigh certain events or situations as we attempt to figure out God's will for myself. Indeed, we can truly, totally become self-absorbed as we wrestle for a resolution. The predicaments are of analyzing God's will are many. For example, concerning young people. Perhaps the most pronounced area for young people seeking God's will deals with the agony of choice in at least four particular areas. Who should be my friends? Who should I, in their vernacular, who should I hang out with? What am I going to be or what should I be when I grow up? What vocation should I pursue? Where should I go? About the option, the option of college. Should I go to college or shouldn't I go to college? If I go to college, what should be my major? And also, of course, on their mind, especially of Christian young people, is who will the Lord provide for, my, for me as a spouse? For adults, is it God's will for me to stay with this company or change jobs? Some experts in that professional era, area of human resources say that adults change professional vocations five times in their lifetime. 
When should I retire? If we are married couples, how large should the family be? Perhaps in light of financial pressures, should my wife work outside the home or not? If I have children, how much involvement do I have in the lives of my children? Do I try to tell my children what friends they should choose? Should I also be a parent that guides them concerning a certain vocation? Should I also, also try to encourage them to go to college or not to go to college? How do I encourage them concerning choosing a spouse? And then, of course, as every parent faces as their children grow, especially in those teenage years, what are the boundaries? What are the freedoms? What freedoms do I set for my children? It is not easy, is it? (laughs) How do we discover God's will? How do we read God's will? Let me say to you that I have no infallible insight from God about my vocation. I did not hear voices from heaven say to do this or do that during my lifetime. And I would assume that this is the same thing true for you. Nevertheless, I have no question that God's providential will has been expressed in my life. In other words, in God's providence, I am where I am because God has placed me there. But I have no infallible assurance that I have read the will of God correctly concerning each situation and each step in my life concerning how to serve or am I serving him correctly in that, in that situation. Just like all of us, I've had to critically discern my likes and dislikes as well as the abilities that the Lord has given me. I could never be a Latin teacher. I could never be terms of many of you in this congregation, an engineer. I could never be a nurse or a doctor, a professional violin player. You definitely don't want to see that. (laughs) A, A computer programmer. I always have to have somebody come to my house and help me. (laughs) I may even have the desire to be one of those professions But I know that the Lord has not provided me with that type of talent or gift in any of those areas. Well, this brings me back to our text in 2 Timothy 3.16. We have been examining Paul's instruction to Timothy concerning the use of Holy Scripture and doctrinal teaching. We have noticed in our previous message that doctrinal teaching refers to the teaching of God's will. In other words, Scripture is profitable 
It is usable in teaching, instructing the will of God. Now, if God's will includes an analysis of our personal likes and abilities and individual introspections, then should we not say that Paul is concerned here with Timothy's own personal analysis of God's will for his life? If we turn to the broad context of the passage before us, we can say that Paul is concerned about Timothy's own calling to serve the Lord. As you recall, Paul is reinforcing in this passage from chapter 3, verse 10 and the following, that Timothy has been called by the Lord to be a pastor, to preach the word in season and out of season. Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul is conveying as the special apostle of Christ, that it is God's will that Timothy not forsake, not forsake his pastoral calling. But are we to carry over Paul's infallible, infallible apostolic insight concerning God's will for Timothy to the teaching of Scripture in verse 16 of our text. In other words, is it Paul's concern in verse 16 that Timothy used the Scripture to suggest God's will for every individual's vocation in his flock? Of course, the answer to that is no. That is not Paul's concern for Timothy in verse 16. Rather, as we saw in our last message, the practical doctrine of teaching God's will from Scripture follows a basic pattern grounded in the historical revelation of God's Word. Do you recall the pattern that we highlighted last week from Deuteronomy chapter 4, 1 and following, and that beautiful one verse, that beautiful one compact verse about the will of God in Psalm 143, verse 10. Once again, let me place the pattern clearly before you. First of all, the premise here is that we are looking at God's will in the context of God dealing with his covenant people. That is the context of 2 Timothy 3.16. In the positive context of God dealing with his covenant people, God's will comes in covenant bond to his people as a gift of grace executed and secured in the gospel of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Herein, the will of God includes three distinct areas. The will of God includes doctrinal teaching, instruction. Now, what's the substance? What's the substance of 
that teaching of God's will. The substance is the Word of God. His statutes, His judgments. Thirdly, to what end? To what end is this teaching? What end is the instruction concerning the statutes and the judgments of the Lord? In order to possess, to possess the land of righteousness. The land of righteousness. Simply stated, it's heaven. It's heaven. At this point, let me address two popular secular misconceptions that have invaded the biblical pattern of doctrinal teaching and instructing of God's will in our life. These two misconceptions have evolved once again, congregation, out of the Greek and the Roman world, which found its place among many of the Jews even in Christ's day. First, For some Greeks and Romans to comprehend the will of the gods, their pagan religion, the will of the gods is self-serving to one's personal status on earth. The will of the gods is self-serving to my status here on earth. Now, if you're thinking here, how does this affect the Jews in their own day? You know of various sects in the Jews that they themselves understood. We can think here concerning the Pharisees. That God serves them and and the will of God serves them in terms of the service. The service of their own self-interests. Sadly, many Christians are seduced by this misconception. Such Christians become obsessed with reading God's will with respect to their own appointed positions of status in the world or in the Christian community. You hear it all the time if you ever turn the channels and listen to the televangelists. It is God's will that I construct my ministry, my enterprise for the sake of God's work on earth. In fact, such ministries convey the idea that they are the apple of God's eye. God's work on earth. They are of a special status. They love to parade before you and before themselves the rich, the the famous, the celebrity in fields of entertainment who call themselves Christians, business, medicine, politicians, as if this authenticates Christianity and their ministries. All under the underlining theme that God's will is that you should pursue prestige or at least 
support ministries of high prestige so that you can bring attention to yourself. So that you can say you're part of the, quote, in-group of God's will. The second misconception from the Greeks and the Romans is that the teacher, remember the word we're looking at here in 2 Timothy 3.16, doctrinal teaching, is the teacher addressing the thinking powers of students. Teaching is to expand thinking, knowledge, wisdom in an earthly sense. It is to It is the pursuit of knowledge for knowledge's sake. If we can say that the analysis of one's personal talents and potential is the seduction of the evangelical's view of the will of God in his life, then perhaps it is fair to say that some in the Reformed community are seduced by the notion of knowledge for knowledge's sake. This is just one of my own personal concerns over the popularity of the classical Christian movement in reform circles. In some of the literature of reform leaders in this movement, I have actually read that they are seeking a higher intelligence for their children in order to overtake the world. It is God's will Don't you know? It is God's will to develop superior knowledge and intelligence in our children in order to change the world. Congregation, this is not Paul's concern in verse 16. He is not concerned that scripture is usable for improving your own personal talents and potentialities as individuals in order for you to make your mark in the world. Nor is he concerned that the Bible will be used to puff up your personal knowledge so that the world will take notice about how brilliant you are. Paul's focus is not a compartment or aspect of the human being. That is to say, his abilities or his brain. Rather, Paul's concern in concert with the rest of Scripture is the whole person, the whole person, unlike many of the notions of Greek and Roman instruction, Paul is concerned with teaching. He's concerned with instructing the whole person in the gospel of Christ, the will of God. This is the component that we did not mention in last week's message, but is so rich in all of Scripture. The Word of God addresses 
the deepest confines of my soul, the deepest resources of the religious constitution of our hearts. From our hearts, it affects every, every aspect of our being. When Christ makes his presentation that he is the bread of life come down from heaven, in John 6, 30 through 58, the scriptures say that the disciples found it hard to understand what, verses 59 and 60, understand his teaching. His teaching. Christ responds. Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Christ's instruction is addressed right at the soul, at the spirit, at your very heart. Are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? Every, the very core of his religious status before God. The spirit of the man, not his flesh, determines one's whole person and being. And such a spirit that the Lord places in the believer finds that its concern is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Where are you going to find the will of God? In his kingdom. The believer finds himself serving in his whole being. Christ's kingdom. Christ is not concerned with an intellectual religion. Now listen carefully. At the same time, your faith is an intelligent faith. It's an intelligent religion. We are just not in the dark in terms of Kierkegaard's position on religion. still intelligent but it's not concerned with an intellectual superior religion in which we flaunt or a religion of flaunting human activity parading the successful in terms of the American idea of success before the Christian community and then say this authenticates what Christianity is. 
He is concerned. Our Savior is concerned with you. Understanding His doctrinal teaching. That His doctrinal teaching is not based on His own authority. That's why I read that passage. But upon the authority of His Father who is in heaven. He is concerned that you live. Jesus is concerned that you live by the word of God. The statutes, the law, the the law of Christ, as Paul calls it in Galatians. The precepts that come from God, not from man. As we saw in our text in John 7. Christ is concerned that we understand God's word is the standard for judgment and not the laws of men. For man has set up his own judgment and in setting up his own judgment assures him that he will not have forgiveness of sins or see the glory of heaven. O congregation, we are seeing the same pattern. The same pattern is evident in the teaching of Christ concerning the will of God. Those three points that we have seen before. Christ is interested in teaching doctrinal teaching. What's the substance Of that doctrinal teaching. The word of God. The judgments. The statutes. Of that word. To what end? To what end? Listen carefully. For all of you. Embrace this end. In terms of living in the will of God. To possess the land of righteousness in which Christ's Christ's righteousness itself has made each believer his, Christ's inheritance. It's heaven. It's in heaven. God's will in covenant bond to his people comes as gift, as a gift of grace executed and secured in the gospel of Christ through the Holy Spirit. You see, you see, You can search the Bible until you are blue in the face concerning whether it is God's will that you should be a doctor or a teacher, a dancer or a flutist, a salesperson or a truck driver. Whether you should run for political office or run to all the sales at Walmart. 
whether you should marry Susie, if you are a male, or Joey, if you are female. The Bible is just not going to answer those questions for you. But that should not depress you. That should not get you down. The will of God in Scripture is bent, is bent towards your eternal, eternal residence. The will of God in the Bible is geared to placing you Placing you who confess the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart in the eternal presence of your covenant Lord. Let me repeat more emphatically. How is scripture usable for doctrinal teaching? The Bible is going to teach. It is going to instruct you In the will of God, the sanctified life, the sanctified life, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, which I read on purpose for you this morning. The Holy Scripture comes to you in the context of covenant. It comes to you as a whole person in Christ. It comes to you as gift of grace, executed and secured in the gospel of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And thus, you see, as the will of God conforms you by the Spirit unto the sanctifying grace that you have in Christ, then you will be You will know, as Paul is even pointing out to the Thessalonians, you know the word. You know what is off limits. In whatever vocation or whatever you do, you know the boundaries of God's word. For example... You will always be just. You will always operate. If you have a business. Or if you are in a vocation. That includes the impeccable aspect of honesty. You will be honest. You will not cheat. You will not lie. You will not. If you are a believer and young people as you grow up and you think of a spouse, you will not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That's clearly in God's will in terms of the eternal residence 
of glory. The Holy Scripture, you see, comes in the context of covenant to the whole person as gift. The whole Bible is instruction in the truth of God's will in the gospel of His Son. As you are confronted with the providential dealings of God in history, you are confronted with His will for His statutes and His judgments are sure and they are true. And to what end, to what end is God's will? To secure a people, secure a people, a nation unto himself. In those people, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord in each of you who believe in Christ, the word of the Lord endures in you forever, forever. You have the inheritance of the everlasting land of glory and righteousness as Christ sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven. The Bible deals with the true and eternal picture of spiritual war of heaven and hell. Are you advancing? Is your life advancing with the gospel of Christ found in Scripture to Christ's very presence? Think about that. To Christ's very presence. You must, you must receive the usable instruction from the word in order, in order to advance to the presence of Christ. Oh, congregation, be encouraged. Be encouraged this morning. Be renewed this morning. Live, live in the word of God. Let's pray. Great God and Father, we are so thankful that thy will has not been absent from us. That we even have the privilege of praying that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask, O Lord, that you would give to each of us clarity of mind. Yes, we have those daily struggles concerning what thou hast providentially brought upon us and in our path. But we also pray and ask thy spirit to be upon us, not to lead us unto temptation and the teachings of men, but that we would always reside in the assurance of thy word 
forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.